The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we examine David's life, we're at the point where we see David as the deliverer. We've seen that he's delivered a city. We've seen that he's delivered himself and his men through the providence of God from the hand of Saul. Today, we begin to look at David as the deliverer of his own enemy, Saul. It is so easy when the circumstances present themselves to take vengeance into our own hands. But we're going to see today and tomorrow that David refused to take vengeance into his own hands because he knew that vengeance belongs unto the Lord. Join us today and tomorrow as we see how we should treat our enemies, even when it looks like they've been delivered into our hands. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
David is the only man that's mentioned in the Word of God as a man after God's own heart. And as I say each time we start this series, we know that our measuring stick is not another man, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, but, but we'll always fall short of that. Uh, we should strive for that. We should strive to be like Christ. That, that should be our goal. That's what Christian means. It means, some, it means Christ-like. Uh, and, and certainly, uh, you never see in the Word of God, by the way, where anybody calls themselves a Christian. Uh, we're see, we see in the Word of God where they, the disciples were called Christians by others who saw their, their manner of life and their lifestyle and their, uh, the way they uh, followed the Word of God, and they were called Christ-like. They were called Christians. And I'm not saying in this day, I understand there's the Christian world and there's the Muslim world, and we in general are Christians, and it's appropriate to, to say from time to time, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Muslim or some other, or Buddhist or anything like that. But, but my point is this, is that primarily it should be others that call us Christians because they should see our lifestyle and the way we live and say, hey, there's something different about those folks. You know, um, they, they certainly say that from time to time about uh, us as primitive Baptists. They say, there's something different about those folks. <laughs> you know, and I, I understand that, but there should be now. There should be something uh, different about what we believe in the hope. You know, that's what Peter was talking about when he said that uh, we're to sanctify the Lord God always in our heart and be ready always to give an answer to any man that asketh thee of the hope that lieth within thee. And that, that presupposes that, that there are those that will see you and, say, and, and recognize, wait a minute, he's got a hope or she's got a hope that I don't have. I don't understand where that's going. Tell me about that hope. Now, I understand that no man that's never not been born again is going to be interested in those kinds of things, but there are many children of God in the world who've been born of the Spirit who don't understand what they have in Christ. And that's our job is to tell them that. We are to be called Christians. People are to look at us and say there's something different about them. Now, uh, Christ, as I said, is our measuring rod. That's what we are to measure our lives by. We're not to compare ourselves among ourselves. The Bible says that's not wise because you'll always find somebody better than you and you'll get into a little bit of despair and then you'll always maybe find somebody worse than you and you'll be lifted up with pride, you know. So, uh, so certainly our measuring rod should always be Christ. We should always understand that we fall short of that in everything that we do and we should never compare ourselves among ourselves in the sense of saying, well, I'm better than her and I'm worse than him and that sort of thing. But one of the things that the Bible does for us is it gives us examples of, of real men and women who lived real lives as sinners that were saved by grace, as uh, men of like passions as, of, as we are, that we might be encouraged a little bit when we read about their lives. And, and this is one of those men. David the king, David the shepherd boy who became the king, was, we're told was a man after God's own heart. And that's something that's interesting to me, and that's something that I think we ought to look at as, as we walk in this life, because if he was a man after God's own heart, and I desire to be a man after God's own heart, I ought to look at what he did and see if I can be a little bit like him, because that should give us some help and guidance. And that's what we've been doing for this. I believe this is about the 13th or 14th message on the life of David, a man after God's own heart. And this past two times that we preached about him, we preached about David the Deliverer. Thus far we see David the Deliverer who has delivered Keilah. Then he delivered himself and his men. Starting in chapter 24, we're going to see where David delivers his enemy. 
David delivers his enemy. Hi, let me ask you this question. How are we supposed to treat our enemies? How are we supposed to treat our enemies? Well, the world tells us that we're supposed to kill them. I think I, one of my favorite quotes from any movie was uh, Conan the Barbarian, which I do not recommend you watch because it's got some bad parts in it. But, but he said, they asked Conan, they said, Conan, what is good in life? And he says, kill your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. I always love that quote. Man, that, doesn't, that just, doesn't that just give you what life tells you about your enemies? Kill them, drive them before you, and listen to their loved ones cry. Boy, that's just, that's just best in life, isn't it? And I want to say to you, that's all that life will offer you. That's all that life will offer you. And that's what I want to do by nature. Right. The people that are my enemies by nature, I want to see them destroyed, and I want to be the one to do it. What does God say about it? Jesus says, you know, that's what, that's what, the, that's what the, the Jews were interested in when Christ was born. At that time period, what they wanted was a war leader to rise up and to throw off the mantle of the Roman Empire and destroy those people that had been oppressing them and, and set up a kingdom here and be a theocracy, a kingdom like they'd had under David and, and Saul and Solomon. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus says, I know you've been told to hate your enemies. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he says, I say unto you, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. Do good unto them that despitefully use you. Now, by the way, that little phrase, that, those two little verses there are an explanation of one another. He says, love your enemies. And the first thought that I have in my mind is, how can I love my enemy?" I don't feel good toward him. I don't like my enemies. I don't have a, a, a heart that's beating for my enemy. <laughs> Not in a good way, at least. But he goes on to say, do good to them that despitefully use you. Now that's kind of explaining or clarifying what he's talking about. Because remember what we've always said, love is not a feeling. Yeah, there's got to be some feeling there. I understand that, you know. But love is not itself a feeling. It's an action. And it's how we treat one another. Because I promise you, you married people out there and you that are looking to get married one day, I promise you there will come a time in your marriage when you'll feel like, oh, I just don't feel love today. I don't feel love toward my spouse this morning or this evening or whatever. But you know what? You're not required to feel love toward one another. Husbands particularly are told, husbands love your wives. And sometimes you may uh, find yourself in a situation where you, you're just in total disagreement with your wife and you think she's being unreasonable and you think she's wrong and she won't listen to you and you just, that, that, that woman is the most unreasonable woman I've ever seen. It's the most unreasonable she's ever been. So what am I going to do? How am I going to love? What am I supposed to You're supposed to love her. <laughs> You're supposed to love her. I don't feel like loving her. Okay, that's all right. Love her anyway. Because you've got to show it, you see. You've got to show it. You continue to do your duties as a husband. You continue to show her love, you see. And, and ladies as well. You wives are supposed to do that to us too. <laughs> uh, but, but particularly men are ordered to do that by the Word of God. And I think it's because it's a particular problem for men. Showing our feelings by doing, you know, do the dishes, you know, pick up, <laughs> clean up a little bit. Um, you know, and, and you say, physician, heal thyself. Preacher, 
preach to yourself. I am. <laughs> okay? I am preaching to myself. I need to do it more. We all can do better. And, and let, me, let me say this to you before I forget it, because that's where I was headed. Jesus said, love your enemies. You say, preacher, my wife or my husband has become my enemy. What do I do? You love him or her anyway. Yeah. See, because Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say feel good toward them. He didn't say feel love toward them. He said, do good to them that despitefully use you. David has come to a place in En Gedi where he's about to encounter his biggest enemy to this point in his life. And that's in chapter 24. And let's just begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now, we have an interesting situation, do we not? <laughs> we have a situation here, and I, and I want to talk to you about the temptation David had right here. We have a situation right here where David has been praying, Lord, I want you to vindicate me. You remember, you remember back in... Uh, Psalms 84, and I'm going to turn over there to get it just right. He said, cut them off in thy truth. In verse 5, he says, he shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. God, he has prayed to God, God, I want you to deliver me. I need you to deliver me. I'm praying that you will vindicate me. And here we find a situation where David and all his men are hiding in a very large cave. And Saul comes into that cave, we're told, he says, to cover his feet. Now, without getting into details, just understand that this was Saul going in to take care of the call of nature, okay? He was going into this cave. Uh, he left his men. He left them outside, and he goes into this cave. Now, can you imagine this? He comes into this cave where all of David and his men are. <laughs> They're hiding in the sides and in the back of the cave. Remember now, David's got about 600 men with him. And these were not nice men. These were not godly men. These were not men that were uh, excited about serving the Lord. We're told uh, back over in, uh, uh, I believe it was the uh, 22nd chapter, it says that when he escaped to the cave of Adullam, it says in verse 2 that everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them. <laughs> now there's some spiritual implications there. I've tried to preach on it before. Uh, David is certainly a type of Christ there, and certainly we're in debt, we're indebted, we're discontent here in this life, and we flock to the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, this was a literal, real story. It really happened. And David is here, who is a man after God's own heart, and he's surrounded, as he tells us in the 57th Psalm, I believe it is, he's surrounded by lions. <laughs> No man cared for my soul, he said. He didn't have anybody of like mind in that cave with him. They were all violent, uh, angry, discontented men. And lo and behold, Saul comes into the cave to, 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 to take care of his business. And then they're hiding in the cave. And, and, and can't you just see them saying, well, hey, David, hey, look, Ooh, Saul coming. Let's hide. Everybody be quiet. He's coming in. What's he doing? He's coming in. He's coming around. Hey, David, David, he's here. Look at him. He's there. He's in a very compromising position. 
The Lord has delivered him into your hands. In verse 4, that's what they say. The men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. <laughs> and then David arose and cut off the skirt of robe privately, privately, which means he sneaked up and he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. We're going to continue reading here, and you're going to see where when David finally talks to him, he said, Some bade me kill thee. Verse 10, but mine eye spared thee. Notice the temptation, though, child of God. Notice the temptation. And I want to say to you, it's the difference in following signs and obeying the Word of God. But I want you to ask yourself as you think about this situation and think about some situations you've been in. And I, I can think of situations I've been in where it was just plain as a nose on my face that it was time for me to deliver the judgment against mine enemies. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer than this, does it? They're all hiding in the cave, and the very man who is out to get him comes in in a compromising position, in a position where he cannot defend himself. All David's got to do is just walk up to the man and run him through with his sword. Gosh, that's a sign, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Those circumstances look like it was time for David to shine. The circumstances presented themselves as such that David, as I would probably do, could easily have taken that as, this is a sign. This is a sign here. You know, isn't that something that we always want to see? I'll never forget when I first surrendered to the call of ministry. I was with an independent Baptist order and uh, had a good friend, Brother Leroy Dutton, who is still a good friend of mine and one of their uh, preachers among that order. And I uh, was talking to Brother Leroy about uh, a church that called me and another church that called me. And I said, you know, what do I do, Brother Leroy? I, I, boy, it's hard to figure out where, where the Lord wants you, isn't it? And he said, and he just listened to me and gave me a little advice. He said, Brother Chris, he said, it sure would be nice if he'd just write us a letter, wouldn't it? <laughs> just send it in the mail. I said, yes, sir. It would be so nice if he would do that. And sometimes we, we want to see visibly something that will lead us in the direction that we have to go. I know I've shared this with you, but uh, it's the, and looking back on it, and I, and I understand, you, gotta, you need to understand, I was sincere about this. And I really thought this at the time, but I look back on it like I do about many things in my life and see how dumb it was, okay? But I was actually, at one point, uh, I had gone away for a night or two to just kind of pray and see what the Lord's leading was in regard to a particular church situation that I was wanting to decide whether that's where I needed to be. And, and I was at a, at, a, at a hotel and I looked out at the balcony there and said, Lord, I just tell me what I need to do. Lord, I need to know. And there was a groundhog that was running around on the ground down there and there was a light pole right here, okay, in my vision. And that little, the groundhog was on the left side of the light pole. And I said, well, Lord, I tell you what, if it's your will for me to come up here, just let that groundhog go to the right side of the light pole. You know? and, uh, and incidentally, he did, and I still didn't go. So, but, uh, but, uh, so I wasn't really following the sign either. But, you know, I don't believe the Lord's leading us through groundhogs today, okay? I don't believe he's doing that. And signs are not something that we should be seeking. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 16. And we'll see what the Lord himself thinks about seeking signs in our lives. In chapter 16, verse 1, just begin reading, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempted, desiring him, that's Jesus, that he would show them a sign from heaven. 
He answered and said unto them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. And of course, what he's particularly referring to here is that the Lord, that, that they had the Old Testament. The Old Testament had told them what was going to happen. Now, it, it was not as clear as we can read it looking back on it, but the Old Testament had said, uh, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and have a son. The Old Testament has said, uh, Thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, out of thee shall come him uh, who, will, who will rule the nations. You know, he had told, he, all these things had occurred and they had the word of God that had pointed them in the right direction. He said, But you can't discern the signs of the times. Now, listen to verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. So what does the Lord think about signs? He thinks that they're the things that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after, you see? And now what is the problem with a sign? Well, there's several practical problems with a sign. One is, is that uh, just like me, in my case, if you're looking for a sign, and I kept looking for signs, and I found a sign, and I made the wrong decision based upon that sign, if you're looking for a sign, you're going to probably find one. <laughs> You know, you, we are, we're just tainted with sin enough. Our minds and the pathways of our brains are just as sinful as, as they were the day, if not more sinful, the day that Adam fell in the garden. We inherited his nature. Our nature taints every decision we make. Our sin nature gets in the way every time we try to make a good decision. And, 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 and we have to always be looking for guidance in some way. And seeking a sign is not the way to do it. Because that is a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks a sign. Now, why is that? It's because he told us we're not to seek signs. We're to walk by faith. We're to walk by faith. And faith is different than signs. See, faith, faith is, uh, is what can guide us when the circumstances seem to declare that we should do something else. I've been there. You know that. We talked about it. I've been there. Where You know, I, I would not be here at Zion Church today if I were seeking signs. I would not be here today because there was no sign in my mind at the time that what was going to happen at Zion was really going to happen. It just looked like, well, you know, a little dead church dying, nearly dead. And, but the Lord said, hey, you walk by faith. And the other thing is this, is he leads us not by signs, but by his word. Yeah. Nowhere in the word of God does it say, that we're allowed as children of God to take vengeance upon our enemies. Now, protect ourselves from our enemies, yes. But to take vengeance on our enemies, no. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, if I was looking for a sign, this would be it. If David were seeking a sign, if David were looking to his circumstances and listening to his men, who, by the way, did not have any interest in the Word of God, apparently, if he were doing that, this passage would read differently. Verse 4 would read at the end, Then David arose and killed Saul and became king. But that's not what David did. And you know why that's not what David did? Because David knew what Romans 12 will eventually tell us. He knew that this was God's way. Romans 12 and verse uh, 19. This is what Romans, this is what the word of God. You know, man says this. It's here the circumstances have presented them. You know, I've had this, I've said this. I, I, you know, I always tell you, I hate the fact that I'm the preacher. I have to confess in this situation. Other orders let you confess to me. You know, I have to confess to you, okay? I've said this. I have felt this. Somebody does me wrong. Somebody tells a lie or 
or or cuts me off or does something that they that, you know that to hurt me well one day one day they'll need me for something you ever been there <laughs> one day i'll get my chance one day i'll get my then you know and there's a word for it out in some of the religions of the world it's called karma now we like karma don't we karma is karma in a sense karma's somewhat of a biblical concept and it just says it's the, it's the, it's the uh, what we've been hearing from uh, various preachers at the fellowship meeting I guess it was talking about the principle of sowing and reaping that whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap and that's true There's, there, that's a natural that's a spiritual and a natural principle in this world if you plant corn you're not going to raise okra okay you plant corn it's going to it's going to grow corn you know you, you plant uh, okra it's going to raise okra you plant weeds and thistles that's what's going to come up you see, you're sowing and reaping that print. So that karma just simply says that you're going to, you know, what goes around comes around. What, whatever you dish out, you're going to get it one day. Okay. But see, I like instant karma. <laughs> Brother Buddy, Brother Buddy's talked about watching those YouTube videos where somebody does something to somebody else. And the next, I mean, I saw one recently where a guy pulled a gun, you know, it's road rage, pulls a gun on somebody next to him. I don't think he ever fired a shot. And then, you know, to scare him off, and then next thing you know, he runs down the road about 100 yards and wrecks, you know. I mean, that's instant car. I like that, you know. That, that just, that gets me fired up. I said, oh, yeah, that's what I like to see. The problem is, is that, that that kind of instant karma is not what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. <laughs> See, vengeance is not something that God has given us as a gift. He's given us some gifts, spiritual gifts, love, joy, peace. Read Romans, uh, Galatians 5 and verses 21, 22, and 23 one day. But, right, but this is not a gift He's given men. He didn't give us vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, and God is a jealous God. He guards what he has jealously. And so, what do we do then, preacher? How do we do? Well, he doesn't leave us without guidance. He says, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> now, let me just also say this to you. Don't do like me either and say, Here's the drink. I can't. That's another coal of fire on your head. You know, you don't need to have that attitude either. Okay, you don't need to have that attitude either. I mean, I confess to you, that's human nature. I get that way sometimes. I'm going to do good so that he'll hurt worse one day. You know, but uh, my point is this: we shouldn't have the wrong attitude in dealing with this. But here's what he's telling us. You know, you say, well, preacher, I can't. I can't feel good toward my enemy. He didn't say feel good toward him. We said love him, didn't he? But that's not what love means. Love isn't about a feeling. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, I understand. I, you know, I look at my wife and I love her. I fe have feelings for her. Uh, but whether I do or not, if, she, if, if we get to the point one day where we are so crossed up on things that, that she becomes my enemy and I become her enemy, what do I do about that? I love her anyway. It says, I feed her. I give her to drink. I do for her because love is not a feeling. Love is an action. You see, so I may not be able to feel real well toward my enemy, but I can treat my enemy right. I can do for them. Now, that doesn't mean you invite them in. That doesn't mean I've got to have, you know, somebody that hates me coming into my home and spending the night at my house and trying to bring him into my circle of friends. I can't do that. They don't want that anyway. 
but I can treat them right when I have opportunity to do it. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Verse 21 says that. Do you know the only way to overcome evil is to do good? You can't, you know, it's just like saying, I'm going to put the fire out with more fire. <laughs> I'm going to set more, now I, I understand about backfires, I get that, but I'm talking, if you go into a fire and you say, I'm going to throw some gasoline on this fire to put it out. <laughs> Try that sometime, but you better get way back away from it because it ain't going to work, okay? The only thing that'll put out fire is water. The only thing that'll put out evil is good. Doing good, you see. So, Saul comes into the cave, and the circumstances are such that it obvious, it's obvious to David's men, and they were egging him on that this is his time. This is time for him to uh, do what, uh, what they know he needs to do, which is to kill Saul and to take over the kingdom just like uh, God had, had told him he would eventually do. These lions, these men that did not care, they were ungodly men, and they were using the word of God, by the way. God had told him he was going to be king. And don't let them fool you, because sometimes ungodly men will use the word of God to justify ungodly actions. The problem is, is that when you use the Word of God without the Spirit of God, you always get into trouble and you get it wrong. The circumstances here seem to call for David to act and take vengeance. Counselors were advising David to take vengeance, but what did David do? David refused revenge. He refused to take judgment into his own hands. You see, the question, whenever the circumstances present themselves, are not how will it advance my agenda, but what would the Lord have me to do? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.